Welcome to the Individual Matters podcast and video series. I'm Andrew Caton, and I'm joined by my wife and co-host, Dr. Katrina Caton, clinical psychologist. Hello, everyone. Today, we're talking about how to set healthy boundaries. Where do you want to start with this? I want to start this discussion by pointing out the two pitfalls that we often all fall into when we're setting boundaries. And the first one is that when we think of boundary setting or when we want to set a limit, we tend to think about changing someone else's behavior. So that's the first pitfall. The second pitfall is that we most often use our words to set a boundary. And those are the reasons that boundaries don't hold. So what I want to talk today about is switching that to what is really a boundary, whose behavior is really being changed. And then if you're not using your words, how might you set a boundary? Yeah, let's start with that first one. What What is setting a boundary? What is a boundary? What do you mean when you use that term? So when I talk about boundaries, I'm really talking about where I leave off and someone else begins, whether that's their thoughts, their feelings, or their behavior. It's where my behaviors, thoughts, and feelings are mine, and your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors are yours. Okay, I think that makes sense. So a boundary is kind of separates what one person owns or controls from what somebody else owns or controls. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And we have different boundaries with different relationships. So we have different boundaries or limits with our boss than we might have at home with our spouse. We have different boundaries, um, even within children within the same household, depending on their age, depending on your relationship with them. So it's really a social interaction of where what I consider appropriate and comfortable and where that line goes that it's not appropriate or not comfortable. Okay, and real quick, what kinds of relationships or situations do you generally get when there are boundaries in place, when there are healthy boundaries in place and they're being respected versus situations where boundaries are getting crossed or blurred or or just aren't even really there, they're all over the place? Yeah, so you can think about boundaries as kind of occurring on a continuum. On one end, you have what's called enmeshed or lack of boundaries, where you really can't tell where someone else's thoughts, feelings, and actions leave off and someone else's begin. There's just a lot of inappropriate crossing over or owning what's not yours. Okay, is this with parents and children or spouses or bosses and employees? I guess with every... It's any social relationship. You can have really enmeshed, unclear boundaries. Then in the middle of that continuum is healthy boundaries, where it's very clear and healthy and appropriate to the situation, also very comfortable to both sides. Then when you move to the other end of the continuum, way down on the other side, we get rigid boundaries. And these are boundaries that are too firm, too wide, and don't make sense for the situation. Ah, interesting. Okay, I think that makes sense. So the first pitfall is, I want someone to stop doing something, so I'm going to set a boundary. So it's this idea that I'm going to change someone else's behavior by setting a boundary. And unfortunately, that's just not how it works. A true boundary or a true limit is doing something that changes your own behavior. So you're not changing the person's behavior. You're changing your own behavior. And there's a big difference here. Let me give you an example. So let's say that we're friends and you keep calling me at work and I say, please don't call me at work. And then you call me at work and I'm at risk for getting fired or you're disrupting my day. Okay, so I need you to stop calling me at work. 
So the boundary is, when am I going to talk to you on the phone? If I say to you, let's say I'm at work and you call and I say, stop calling me at work, then I'm trying to change your behavior. So if I don't want to talk to you at work, I've got to figure out something different on my side of the fence that's going to end these phone conversations at work. That makes sense. All right. So on one hand, you're telling somebody else, you need to change your behavior versus I'm, how can I change my behavior in order to get a, essentially a different behavior or get a different result? Exactly. I need a shift or a change in the dance I'm doing with this person. So I need to do some different steps. Okay. So then the second pitfall is this idea of using our words to set a boundary. Almost without exception, once you use words to set a boundary, you've already crossed your boundary. So let me give you an example with the same one I just said. So you're calling me at work and I say, please don't call me at work. Then the next day I'm at work, you call, I see it's your number. So I pick up the phone. Hey, I told you, please don't call me at work. I am not going to talk to you at work. Oops, I just violated my own boundary because I'm talking to you at work. So not only am I trying to change your behavior, now I'm trying to change it with a conversation that in fact violates the very boundary that I was trying to create. So that's not going to get the results you're looking for. That makes sense. So how do you do it then? So if you're calling me at work and I see it's your number, then I don't take the call. Uh, okay, yeah. So. In doing that, you're not changing directly, asking another person to change their behavior. You're not telling that person with your words to change their behavior. You're changing your own behavior or your own action. And as a result, what happens? So then the dynamic changes and there may be some conflict or they may call 200 times, um, which would be an extinction burst. So we definitely need to do a podcast on that. So, um, but the idea is then you block their number. So now the calls aren't even getting through. You have changed your behavior and ultimately you're not talking to that person at work anymore, which is what you needed to have happen. That's an interesting concept. So it sounds like the tendency or the knee jerk reaction or the, the instinct is to try to shape another's actions according to the the two examples you gave first of what not to do. Yeah. So let me give you another example that uses kids. So um, kids are playing games, you know, you're learning board games, you're having a good time. And maybe you have a, a kid who likes to cheat or kind of cause disruption during the game. So you're playing the game and you say to the child, you're cheating. I'm not going to play with you if you're going to cheat. So please stop cheating. Right. So you can hear the two pitfalls right away. One, I want the child to stop doing something. So I'm going to set a boundary to change their behavior. And two, I'm using my words to essentially threaten a boundary as opposed to hold a boundary. The alternative would be that when the child begins cheating is I, instead of telling him not to cheat and to tell him to, I'm not going to play with you if you keep cheating, then I just shut the game down and I'm done. And then I'm not going to play games with him because he cheats until we can work it out that he's able to play without cheating. So with a child, you know, you might be a little more gentle, but at the end of the day, the whole point is that I don't play games with people who cheat. 
that's different than you need to stop cheating. So you're changing the dynamic, you're changing what you're okay with by changing your own behavior with your actions. That's a fascinating mind shift. So going back to the first two examples, would somebody's behaviors change that way? Is it just a, a longer way or a, uh, a less effective way to change your behaviors? Or, or what you're saying is that the behaviors just don't change. If you try to tell somebody else what to do, or if you use words, it just it doesn't work at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it can certainly, for people who are respectful and might modify what they're doing, but generally speaking, if I take your phone call to say to you, I'm not going to talk to you at work anymore. I'm already talking to you at work. So it's going to take longer to change this behavior because I've just reinforced it again. And each time you reinforce a behavior, you're more likely to get it. Um, it also is more empowering to think about it this way because it can be very stressful to try to change someone else's behavior because that's outside of your yard. There's nothing you can do to change other people's behavior. You can encourage and influence and manipulate and try, but at the end of the day, that's a really hard thing to do. And it requires you to either use dominance or force or to be upset. Whereas this is really empowering because you can keep calling or you can keep cheating, but I'm not going to be engaging in those behaviors. And I know that. And now I have a choice to have, um, I will play games with kids who don't cheat and that's fun. And that's ultimately what I was going for. Seems like if you get into the, or if you take the approach of trying to tell someone else to change their behavior and using words, then you get into arguments, you get into maybe manipulation, you get into, you get sucked into that, that conflict. Whereas if you change your own behavior, I'm just reflecting back what I, as I'm thinking about this, as you change your own behavior and you do it without words, there's not really much to argue. Right. And you're not going to get into a power struggle. So if I'm telling you, you know, I'm not going to play if you cheat. Well, I didn't cheat. Well, I won't do it again. Well, don't, you know, in, or don't call me. And it, it sort of becomes this power struggle, verbal exchange of, um, it then becomes about debating the facts or um, negotiating or any of those other things that really have nothing to do with the issue. And what you're wanting is a change for yourself. So you're ultimately happier or more comfortable and so um, you're just going to be more successful when you focus on your own thoughts, feelings, and behaviors because you do have control over those. You can own those and feel really good and positive about that. Obviously, there's lots of examples from the adult world when we look around our, our world today where we can, we can think about all the different examples of poor boundaries. But since we do this podcast mostly for parents and educators and we're more focused on children... Can you, are there some other examples or is there another example that you can think of? I think another good example for parents and kids might be mealtime. If you're wanting your child to eat more or you're tired of making three or four different meals or combinations of foods for each meal because everyone has a different desire or different um, preference, essentially you can't control what people are going to eat. You can't control whether they're going to eat. If you are the one buying and making the food, then you make and buy the food that you want and you serve it up. And then whatever happens after that is up to them. So in that way, you're not getting in arguments about eating and food and, and all of that stuff, because one, it's not in the house because you're, you're doing the groceries. So 
you're not buying it. It's not getting eaten. And two, you're just kind of showing them that you're preparing the meal. You put it on the table. And when we're done eating, we do the dishes and that's it. There is no other discussion. So you're sort of, you've probably heard this is you're teaching people how to treat you. So you're teaching your kids how to treat you. You're teaching colleagues how to treat you. You're teaching your spouse how to treat you. And I'm sure you guys can all think of times where maybe a new colleague came on staff and um, you needed to reach out to them and you emailed them and you didn't get a response back, but then you caught them in the hallway and you got a response right away. Now they just trained you that if you want something from them, you got to catch them in the hallway and you'll get it. If you email them, you're not going to get a response. They've essentially set a boundary without, maybe they knew it or not. I don't know, but they trained you not with their words, but with their actions. Uh, that's a powerful phrase, teaching people how to, how to treat you. Because the question I was going to ask right before you brought that up is, or the point I was going to make is it seems like some people might call this selfishness. The example that you used with the parent making and buying food and then making dinners that they want, but it's not really selfishness. No, it's not selfishness because one, you're teaching them healthy habits. And two, you're also just letting them know that there's a lot of different people in the world and that they're not the center of the world and they don't always get their way. And if they have a need that's special or a desire that's different, then that's going to take a little bit more for them to step up and do that. Or maybe they can take care of their own plate because they know they like it a certain way. And that's great. We all have preferences and desires. And this idea that you um, can find ways to meet your own needs is a really important concept, I think, for kids to learn. Yeah, that seems like a super important or valuable mindset to take into adulthood, for sure. And the other thing I want to say about boundaries and teaching people how to treat you is that whether you're noticing it or not, you are always setting boundaries and teaching people how to treat you. So the idea here is just get a little bit more mindful about where you want those boundaries and be a little more proactive and a little bit more intentional with where you want your boundaries because you're setting them and people are responding to them anyway. This is a really fascinating idea. I'm sure we could circle around and do another podcast in the future on this. It's, it really requires a mind shift, but once you start thinking about it, it, it makes sense. Is there anything else that you want to add about setting boundaries? So there's two last things I want to mention, and they go together. And um, essentially what they are is, one, you don't have to wait until you're a victim or upset to set a boundary. They can be set much earlier. And related to that, the sooner you set a boundary, the quicker it will be followed. The later you set a boundary, the harder it will be to set that boundary. So let me give you an example. If you're a teacher and it's the first day of school, whatever you're willing to tolerate on that first day of school, that second day of school, maybe that first week, you can plan on dealing with for the rest of the year. It's much easier to lighten up boundaries and give more flexibility than it is to pull the fence in to a a smaller uh, circumference. So what I would say is, You set the stage. Yes, you want to build rapport. Yes, you want to build those relationships early on as well. But that first week or so, you are setting the stage for the rest of the semester. And if you feel like you were a little too harsh or a little too rigid, it's much easier to slide towards the middle because you remember that continuum we were talking about when we started. If you start over on the enmeshed, loose, 
unclear boundaries, it's much harder to build that fence towards the middle at any point after that. So I would say set boundaries earlier and maybe even set them a little more firm than you think you're going to need them. Wow, this is such good information. As we wrap up, can you just quickly summarize for the listeners? So the takeaway here is that boundaries are about changing our own behavior and that we set boundaries with actions, not words. And then just to kind of round it all out is this idea that we are always teaching people how to treat us. And so what would we like them to know about our preferences and our needs and what we think is most appropriate? Really valuable information that you can use in the workplace, at home, in the classroom, and pretty much every every relationship situation. Okay, that is it from us today. As always, you can find more information as well as resources on our website, individualmatters.org. We hope you'll join us at the next podcast where we continue to learn more about learning and share ways to help your student and yourself live a more positive and fulfilling life. 